All right, we're talking about Sunday school myths. I haven't received any from y'all, things that you would like to talk about, and so I just keep coming up with them, all right? And tonight we're going to talk about one that people try to use as a comfort, but doesn't really come out that way, all right? Uh, it sounds good in theory, but it's nowhere in the Bible, all right? And usually it comes out in a variety of ways, things like uh, God must be up to something in your life, and you know this happened, God never makes mistakes, and while those may be true in senses, it doesn't mean what this phrase means. And the phrase we're going to talk about tonight, and I don't plan on holding y'all past 7.30, so we're going to get right into it, all right? The phrase that we talk about tonight is, everything happens for a reason. You hear it a lot. Um, what's interesting is you most often hear it by people who are explaining away minor things in their lives, not major things. Uh, I saw. I put that into Google today, and there's a there's a site out there that gives you famous quotes, and this was quoted by tons of people. I, I just believe everything happens for a reason. I, I'm okay with it because I just believe everything happens for a reason. But even in churches, sometimes people will come up to you and say, oh, "I know that was a terrible thing, but I believe everything happens for a reason." Okay. Well, here's the honesty about that. It, it's not in the Bible. It's nowhere to be found in the Bible, at least as the Bible ought to be interpreted. Okay, um, To say that, if you're a strong believer in Christ, is to say that God causes all things to happen for a reason. I mean, that's what's behind there. I, I just trust the Lord because everything happens for a reason. But we have to acknowledge that God allows things to happen that would not be His way of doing things, right? I mean, God didn't cause Adam to and Eve to sin. God didn't cause Satan to reject him and rebel. God didn't cause a brother to kill brother. God didn't cause the Tower of Babel to be built. God didn't make David sleep with Bathsheba, but God didn't, you get the idea, right? And so to say everything happens for a reason is to say that God is behind and causing all things. Now, it does acknowledge in one sense, one thing that is right, and that is God is in absolute control of what's happening. And that is a comfort. We understand that God is in control, that nothing goes that he doesn't allow or know about. But it's different to say God knows about it than to say God sends it. Where do you think we get that from? Where do we get? Is there a Bible verse we get people get this from? That's good. Somebody else. We'll talk about the difference there. Yeah. 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 Bible teaches of God's complete knowledge that He knows all things, and so people say, "Well, if He knows all things, there's got to be a reason behind all things." Right, we'll talk about that. That's true. There'd be no free will there. We'll talk about that some more too. But where in the Bible? So Romans eight twenty eight. There it is. That's what it seems to say, isn't it? We know that all things work together for good. So what things work together for good? All things, right? So if all things work together for good, then there has got to have Everything that happens 
for a reason. Here's the problem with that. The King James did not do a good job of translating the Greek here. Now, I'm not saying that it didn't do a good job for their day, because how long ago was the King James written? 1611. What's this year? 2011. Maybe we'll do the math real fast. 400 years, right? Anything changed in 400 years? 1 Corinthians 13. What's that? That's the love chapter. Is that what the King James says? Is that what the King James uses, the word love? No. What does it use? Charity. Now, charity in King James' day means something completely different than charity today. I have yet to stand, unless I'm reading the King James Version, and the couple usually doesn't want me to, to stay. As you get prepared to exchange your marital vows, let me read about what charity is. Nobody is going to make a little heart in about a week and a half and write, I charity you. Right? It's love today. And so modern versions translate that. They talked differently in King James Day than they do now. There was a guy that wrote around that time. His first name was William. His last name was Shakespeare. And anybody read William Shakespeare? Anybody read him lately? Probably not because nobody's made you read him lately, right? Anybody ever read William Shakespeare just for fun? Okay? When I would read Shakespeare and I would go to class, the teacher would start talking about the symbolic, wonderful things that are revealed in the masterpiece that is William Shakespeare's writings. And I just wanted to learn how to read a sentence. And, right? It's just different. And so when the King James says, we know that all things work together for good, that's not a great understanding of what that verse says in the original for us. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans 8.28. Now, here's what we're going to look at. What the difference is in modern translations. Okay? If you have the King James Version, guess what? Yours is going to say that. If you don't, it'll probably say something close to what my NIV. By the way, just for your knowledge, some of you have used the Version app that I use on Sunday morning, and it'll pull up a different, there's a new NIV, 2011. And it's not much different, but this is, I'm reading out of the 1984 NIV. I, have to start, I, I, I hope I don't have to start clarifying that, but it's not that much different. But here's Romans 8:28. And we know. Now I want you to think about what is different here, okay? And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. So the difference is we know that all things work together for good. And then IV says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. The difference there might seem minor, but it's not. It's the difference between everything happening in our lives being sent from God and God taking what happens in our lives and using it for good. There's a difference. Bad stuff happens all the time, doesn't it? Anybody watch CNN the last couple of days? Fox News, NBC, MSNBC, any of those channels? I mean, what is happening in Egypt is just, it's one of those things that, that you think in your mind, I really shouldn't even be, I mean, it's just, it's terrible to watch, but in some ways, 
can't pull yourself. It's like the first, the first time the Gulf War was on television, and we were all watching it. And you see, you know, today those crowds the, the, just gathering and sides fighting one another and, um, and, and rocks being thrown and people being hurt. And I think even Anderson Cooper got hit and all that today. And so you have all of that happening, and we see just terrible things happening. You turn on the news at night, Nashville, and bad stuff happens around here. And you hear about illness and sickness and things happening. And the question that ultimately comes to mind, and we've talked about it before, is, well, why do bad things happen to good people? And the question becomes, Wayne, if God is all good and God is all powerful, then why doesn't God stop evil? Philip Yancey, in a book he wrote, um, talks about the story of this girl that he knows and that she died a horrific death of cystic fibrosis. And he says in there, I'm not saying God caused her to have it, but I am saying this, that if God can and does intercede at any moment in or intervene at any moment in human history and heals somebody. And we would all agree, I hope, that he has and he does. Then when he doesn't, he in essence sits on his hands and allows evil to happen. And so you have this real kind of balance there. And if you just come along with the saying, Well, everything happens for a reason. You must be very special that God has chosen you to go through this. Aren't you excited about what God's going to do in the midst of all of this? If you come with those kind of answers, it minimizes the pain and the difficulty. Now, you tell me, why does bad stuff happen? I mean, the simple answer, if you say things like that, is, well, God sends it all, that's it. You tell me, what are some reasons that bad stuff happens? Character building. So, so sometimes God does allow or sin. Now, now, I think we have to watch the line of God sending evil things, but God allows or sends tests into our lives to build character, okay? Right. And so he allows. He, God, notice in Job, God doesn't send those things. He allows Satan to have rain as a test, okay? Miss Jones? We do. And I think we forget the major difference sin makes. I mean, sin is rampant. Except for the hand of God, it would run completely over this world. Why else do bad things happen? Well, there's there's some of that. Wouldn't have a hope or see what would be to come. Yeah, I I believe that God is all-powerful, and so... If we believe that, then he has to allow everything that Satan does. Now, I don't think that God and Satan have a conversation every day and Satan gives him his list of things he's going to do, and God approves them all. It's just that Scripture is taught that he has given Satan, allowed him to run on this earth free, and for us as humans to make decisions so we have free will. Okay? Why else? Why else do bad things happen? Y'all Y'all feel good on the, the kind of the macro level, the big level. There's some sometimes that God allows things so that we can show off the glory of God. Y'all being way too spiritual. 
we, we mess up. We, we sin, right? Man, no, we're in church, but it's okay to admit that. We mess up. And when we mess up, there are consequences to what we do. Now, sometimes it's sin that we do. Uh, somebody, I read about a, a guy that came to his pastor's office just didn't know what to do because his, his house was about to be foreclosed on. And he asked him, he said, well, he said, I, I'm trying to figure out God's purpose in this. Well, why would God do this to me? And he said, well, tell me, how did you get in this position? He said, well, you know, he said, we, we, we were talking with the... Um, we were talking with this person that was advising us, and he said, you'll never qualify for a loan at that, that, that thing, but if you, if you bump your salary up a, a few thousand, you'll, you'll qualify. He says, we bumped our salary up a few thousand, and now we can't afford the home. And he said, well, that ain't God doing anything. That's you. You lied. You misrepresented yourself. Um, so sometimes it's sinful. Sometimes it's just poor decision. Now, we could get into a debate about the body is the temple of the Lord and the fact that that really, the word your body is the temple is a collective term, so it's really the church is kind of the temple of the Lord. We could get into that discussion about exercise and all that, but let's just go for a minute with, with, with poor decisions. Um, I, I'm diabetic. Um, if I just decided tomorrow that I was not going to take care of myself at all, I would suffer consequences of it. If I'm laying in a hospital bed with my blood sugar at you know, 700 and organs failing because I'm not taking care of myself and I can't say there, well, I don't understand why God sent this this my way. You know, people that smoke for 30 years and then wonder why lung cancer is a part of their lives. Sometimes, and I'm not, you know, I'm not debating whether smoking's sinful or not. I'm just saying that sometimes it is blatantly sinful activity and sometimes it's just really poor choices. That's what I put up here. The three reasons that evil things can happen is they're self-inflicted, they're a fallen world, and we're foolish decisions. Now, in the midst of that, and we're going to talk again in a minute, we're going to get to some good stuff in a minute. If you just walk up to somebody that we live in a fallen world, and because of that, they've lived their life clean, and they've exercised, and they've, you know, I think about my friend who uh, I ate lunch with yesterday. He's running marathons, you know. I mean, literally, he went to Chicago this year and ran a marathon. And he, he's a picture of health, but there's no, I mean, you know, 10 years from now, he could be diagnosed with some sort of cancer. He's taking care of his body much better than I have, okay? I mean, I, Susan and I have talked about getting on an exercise regimen, and I, I'm looking at from couch to 5K. He's running the Chicago Marathon, all right? But there's not, that doesn't mean that life will be fair when it comes to that, okay? And so if he were to come down with cancer, let's just say, just walk it up to him and say, well, everything happens for a reason. That's not real comforting at that moment. There's an author by, uh, by the name of John Eldridge, and he, uh, I've told this story before, but uh, it just illustrated me. It was, I, was, I was in a time when some things were happening, and I was reading through this book, not expecting this kind of thing, and he, he was talking about that, that he and his wife had a dream home in the city they were in. And they had saved, they had planned for years for this dream home. And it came on the market, and it came on the market, under what they had expected to have to pay for. They went and visited it. They looked at it. They went through all the proper things. They went to the mortgage company. They got everything in order. They had the bid. They called in the bid. They went that afternoon to set up the closing appointment, and their realtor said, somebody just put in a higher bid, and they've taken it out from underneath them. 
So he goes to his friends and says, man, they took our house. He goes, oh, don't worry about it. Everything happens for a reason. God didn't want you to have that house. And he said, no, God did want me to have that house. I'm confident of that. Satan didn't want me to have the house, and he won at this time. Don't blame God for everything bad that happens in my life. Okay? And so we have to get past that sometimes and say, not everything that comes is from God. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't allow it. It doesn't mean that sometimes he doesn't send discipline into our lives. But when we're talking to others, we must realize that there are times when just bad stuff happens. And here's why it's important. Because when people think God is responsible for everything, then it leads to these kind of things. I saw a story online. I just Googled that phrase today. I saw a story online about a teenage girl that was killed in an accident. And somebody got on the comments and wrote, we just trust the Lord because everything happened for a reason. And the next few comments were people that blasted God. Well, if that's the kind of God that exists, I don't want to serve that kind of God. And what you see real quickly is they're not mad at God. They're mad at the idea that God would be the author of bad things. It makes us gloss over sin. I read a, another report from a pastor that um, said that a couple was in his thing one time, and they, were, they couldn't understand why God wasn't working in their life, and they were seeking the Lord. And they were a couple that had committed adultery, blatant adultery together, and then divorced their previous spouses and got married. And they never really dealt with that. And the pastor just said, do you think it might have something to do with this? And they go, oh, no, no, no. God caused that to happen because this relationship is much better than our previous one. And he said, I'm not denying you have a good relationship now, but don't gloss over sin in the past. Deal with it. Doesn't mean you can't deal with it and move on and get past that, but don't gloss over and say God caused that. Irresponsibility sometimes is caused. It's just, well, I can do whatever I want to. God's going to put it all together in the end. I'll break a few eggs, but God will make the omelet. Or misplaced hope. You put your hope in the wrong kind of thing. So if that's where we get it from, if, if Romans 8.28 is where we get it from, then what, what is it teaching? What is Romans 8.28 teaching? If it's the phrase that people use over and over again and people go to time and time again, it's the phrase that... Um, Billy Graham used at the Oklahoma City bombing. It's a phrase that was used after the World Trade Centers. It, you know, it's, it's the phrase that there are a few verses in, out there that people know if they've never held a Bible. They may not know it's from the Bible, but they've heard it, and this is one of them. What does it mean? Romans eight twenty eight and following. We're going to read eight twenty eight through 30, um, mainly because that's the way it was written. They were all written together. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. All right? Let me ask you real quick one question. Is this a promise for every person on the earth? No. Who is this promise for? Those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So for someone who is not a believer in Jesus, 
this is not a promise. Does that make sense? And this was written to believers from Paul. This is not a general blanket statement that God works for everybody in the world, everything together. Or even if you like the King James Version of it, that God, all things work together for all people. That's not what it says. It says for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. Now, whatever else that means, what I know that means is that means that people who have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and are walking according to His commandments. So this does not apply to your coworker who is not a believer in Jesus, no matter if you've been witnessing to them or not. This verse does not necessarily apply to them. This verse doesn't apply to your neighbor that you love dearly, but is lost and doesn't know who Jesus Christ is. It doesn't apply. And here's the reality. It also probably doesn't apply to your friend that may have had a salvation experience with the Lord, but at this moment is not seeking the Lord, loving Him, and walking according to His purposes. So it's not a universal promise, but it is a promise for people that are seeking the Lord. Here's three things I want to tell you that it says. First of all, it's going to tell us that our bad things can turn out for good, our good will not be wasted, and the best is yet to come. Okay? So Romans 8.28 says that our bad things can turn out for the good. There are three implications here. First of all, verse 28 says, For those that love Him, God works together all things for good. The first implication there is, that all things happen to believers. It means that just because you're a believer does not mean that you're exempt from bad things happening to you. It means that all things are possible to happen to you. It's extremely important to understand. If we're going to experience joy, that we have to understand that terrible things can happen to us. Some Christians teach, and most kind of, believe this, that if you love and serve God, there won't be as many bad things happen to you than if you don't. You may read through the chronological Bible and read through the book of Job and love that experience again. In the book of Job, all of his friends basically say this, right? The reason you're in trouble, Job, is because you're not walking with the Lord. If you were walking with the Lord, if you were doing what the Lord said, bad things wouldn't happen to you. And Job says that's a bunch of baloney. Now, he uses about five chapters to say that, but that's what he says. And the point is that bad things happen. Horrible things can happen to us. I will start my 35th year on this earth tomorrow, a 36th year. Right? Yes. At the end of one year, you become one. I'm trying to make myself younger. I turn 35 tomorrow, all right? In my 35 years of living, one thing that I've seen is that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous the same. We have people in our neighborhood that aren't believers. And when it rains, it rains at my house and their house. Anybody here not have the rain skip over them? You, your neighbors couldn't get out of their driveway and yours was actually just dry because no snow fell. The Lord blessed you in that way. No. Well, the principle is the same with bad things. It happens on the good. It happens on the bad. It happens on us all. That's part of the fallen world thing. It happens. I mean, a little bit later in this chapter, Paul used one of those phrases that we love. What thing can separate us from the love of God? 
in trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, poverty, danger, or sword? And, God, and Paul's response is, none of that. But here's the point. All of that can happen. It just doesn't separate us from the love of God. So the first thing is that all things happen to Christians. The second thing is, this implication there is, if there is anything good that comes up in your life, it is because God has provided it. Anything good in your life, God is the one that's working it together. Rather than focus on the bad that happens in your life, you ought to focus on the fact that God is doing some great things. Albert Einstein, you know who he is, right? He's a pretty intelligent guy. Albert Einstein once said that there are two kinds of people in the world, those that choose to look at the world and see no miracles and those that choose to look at the world and see miracles everywhere. And if there's anything good in your life, I mean, we live in a world, we talked about this a few weeks ago about entropy, that we live in a world that is naturally prone to decay. Our bodies decay, nature decays, the little grains of sand on the beach used to be on a mountain, they've decayed, everything falls apart, nothing naturally just kind of comes together. Sand doesn't decide all of a sudden to come together and form a hill. The verse here tells Christians to get rid of that sweet, sentimental idea that things ought to go right, that things do go right, and that it's normal for things to go right. Most people believe in our culture that if something goes wrong in your life, you've got somebody you've got to sue for. Because things ought to go right. But we've discarded that idea. Our idea is that if something goes right, it's because God has allowed it to go right or caused it to go right. I mean, if, you, if you're healthy and it remains intact, it's because God has given you that gift. In our um, in our four o'clock Bible study, we, we do prayer meeting or some prayer requests beforehand, and uh, we're talking about Miss Alpha May. Miss Alpha is uh, turning ninety-five, I think, soon. But Miss Alpha's health is failing her. But Miss Alpha's health—I mean, she was the Wednesday night. I don't know what you call that. Money collector, checker inner, all right? Till she was 91. 91 years old. You think about somebody like that, and you think, just, that's a blessing of God. We had a lady who, not a member of this church, but used to be a member of this church many years ago, passed away that was well over 100. Retired from DuPont in 1956. Retired in 1956. Died a few weeks ago. That's because God has allowed that. He's blessed with that. It's not because our bodies are naturally inclined to that. Now, one of you actually told me about, and I haven't been able to get online and find it. I've looked for it a little bit. But some, some researchers did a study and found out that our DNA is so built that it can't last past 120 years. Now, it's kind of interesting especially that phrase, 120 years. It's kind of biblical, right? But the idea that any help we have is because God... I mean, if we have someone to love us, to, to hug or to squeeze us, if, if someone loves us in spite of all of our flaws, it's God's gift to us. So any good we have is God's blessing. So we understand that all things happen to us, that it's God working. Here's the third implication. That even when bad things happen, God can turn them to good. 
it doesn't say that there aren't bad things and that they're real. What it's saying is that God has the ability to take our worst and make it into something beautiful. You remember Jesus at the uh, tomb of Lazarus, right? Now, we all know the end of that story, right? What does Jesus do? Lazarus come forth. He comes out. Um, they have to unwrap him from the grave cloth, which I think would have just been cool. It's like a Scooby-Doo episode almost. You know, they're unwrapping him from the grave cloth. I, I get the picture of somebody grabbed it and pulled and spun him, all right? They had to unwrap him. And so we know the end of that story. So we get there, and Jesus gets to the tomb. And we don't think about how crazy it is that Jesus knew he was going to bring him back. But what does Jesus do at the tomb? He what? He cries. He weeps. Now, when you look at that word, weeps means what weeps means for us. And there's a difference between crying and weeping. Right? Jesus was upset at the tomb. Why? Because death is painful. And that's not God's intention. And Jesus was acknowledging that loneliness and fear and being disconnected from one another and death itself was wrong and not part of God's plan. And he is acknowledging the depth of pain that is there. And when you say that there is real pain in life, but for those who are following Jesus and seeking after him, he can take that and move it in a direction of good. It acknowledges the reality of the pain more than just, well, everything happens for a reason. Joseph, right? Book of Genesis. He has kind of a bad 20 years or so, right? I don't know. It's not that long, but he had he had a bad few years. He First of all, his brothers don't like him, so what do they do? Sold him into slavery, right? Because they, they felt guilty about killing him, but putting him in a hole and selling him in a slave, that's not as bad. Telling dad that he's dead, that's, you know, kind of thing. So he gets to Egypt, and God turns that into a bad situ- that bad situation into something good. He gets put in the house of Potiphar. He raises to the ranks of Potiphar. Potiphar realizes he's a great man. Realizes he's a man of God, respectable, trustworthy, puts him in charge of all these affairs, and then what happens? Potiphar's wife thinks that Joseph is really good looking and wants to do things that we can't talk about in church. Right? And Joseph says, no. And so, naturally, because he's following God's wishes and doing what God desires, Joseph continues to be elevated into positions of greatness, right? No. He gets wrongly accused and sent to jail. When jail, he interprets dreams for a couple of guys, tells them to remember them. The dreams come true. The guys forget. They finally remember it. Another time he goes up, he's elevated. You get through that whole story. The brothers come because they're starving after after Joseph understands that the skinny cows eating the fat cows is because the drought's going to and the famine's going to eat the good years. And you get through all of that and you get to the time when the brothers come up and Joseph does that whole charade with them and sticks the cups in their bags and had cash in their bags and sends them back. And they get there and they get in front of him and they reveal themselves to him and he says, I am your brother. And they all are scared to death. Right? Because they're afraid Joseph's going to take revenge. And what does Joseph say? What you intended for evil, God 
And I like to use the interpretation, repurposed for good. Our bad can turn into good. That's the, that's the first big lesson. Here's the second big lesson, that our good things can never be lost. Look at this. It says here that verse 28 and 29 are, are linked. People don't really link them because they just like verse 28. It's what somebody has called a blessing box verse. That's, you know, the, the verses that you take completely out of context, put on an index card and stick it in a blessing box you want to read every now and then. They don't read the verses that are around them. I mean, they assure themselves that when bad things happen, surely good's coming. Um, I don't get into grad school. That means God's got a better grad school for me. Or, um, you know, I, I didn't marry the girl or guy I wanted to. That means there's a better girl or guy out there. But that's not what this verse is promising. What it's promising is that God will work together all things for good in order or for the reason or because, verse 29 says, those he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now, this is not one of those verses that we have to get caught up in what predestined means here and the whole discussion about who's predestined for heaven or hell or such a thing. The point here is, if you are going to be a believer in Jesus, if you are a believer in Jesus, the point is, he has foreordained, foreknown, that his goal is to bring you from where you are into the likeness of his son. That's the point of this verse. He doesn't promise better circumstances, but he promises a better life. There is no way you can interpret verse 28 that our joy ought to be dependent on things at all. Jesus Christ did not suffer on the cross so that you would not suffer. He suffered so that when you suffer, you can look to Him to become more like Him. It doesn't promise you better life circumstances. It promises you a better life. It tells us the goal toward which we're all moving. Paul uses the word predestined. He's not introducing the word to confuse us. He's not, he, he doesn't intend to explain doctrine or predestination or address issues. He's using it to comfort us that that is our destiny. We use the word destiny all the time for things that don't make a difference at all. Sunday night, they're going to play a football game in Dallas, Texas. And it's going to be on a closed roof, and somewhere around 48 billion people are going to watch. Everybody's going to watch it five or six times. Now, I mean, so an astonishing amount of people will watch this game between guys that try to get a ball across the line. And at some point in that game, as they move toward the end, especially if it's a dramatic win for one team or a come-from-behind win or circumstances get around, they'll say, this was a team of destiny. And so that word has almost become cliche. But what is meant here is literally that our destiny, our destination for believers is that we will become like Jesus. It says that we will be conformed into the likeness of Jesus. The word there for conformed is the word morpha in the Greek, which means changed, metamorphosized, changed. 
He promises to change the very inner essence of who you are to be like the inner essence of Jesus Christ. To be Christian is to become passionately in love with the character of Jesus. You read about him in the Bible. You're amazed by the truth. You love him. You see wisdom and conviction and courage and radiance. And God is moving through you with good happening in your life. And more and more you want to live your life in the way that Jesus Christ lived. You want the Lord to mold you and sculpt you, to give you that incredible compassion and courage. And here's the most amazing thing. Verse 30 says, And those that he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Now let me ask you a question. When are we going to be glorified? Sometime else, right? In the future. So to be correct, if you want to be theological about it, we ought to look at this and go, Oh, so what Paul meant is that those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he will glorify. But that's not what it says. He says he glorified. Paul is so confident that the ultimate result for those that are believers in Jesus Christ is to be glorified that he talks about something in the future and the past tense. Now think about that. He is so confident that God is eventually going to finish what he started in us, that even in the midst of terrible circumstances, we can be confident that what God promised has already happened. It's a terrible illustration, but I'm going to use it anyway. I couldn't help but think of Back to the Future. You may watch that movie 25 years ago, right? Does that make anybody else feel a little older? 25 years ago that came out. What's the purpose of that first movie? Not the crazy ones where they start going to the Old West and all that. The first movie, what's the purpose? Why does he go back in time? Or when he's back in time, what is he trying to do? He's trying to get back to the future. That's good, Randy. That's why to use the title and the answer. Appreciate that. And back to the future, what's happening? He's getting back to the future. That's good. It starts to change. And then what does he want to do? He wants to make sure his parents get together. You remember that? His mom, this is creepy to think about, his mom starts liking him. And remember they've got that photo? You know, some of you can go home and watch Back to the Future now, right? No, you're not, Jimbo. It's all right. They've got that photo, and in the photo, the family photo starts fading because they're changing the future. And so what he's doing is he's trying to go back and make sure what's already happened, happens. What Paul is saying is, you don't have to worry about it. What will happen, has happened. This is like Paul given a guaranteed victory, and there's no doubt. Here's the last thing. The comforting thing out of this verse. Because of all that, we know the best things are yet to come. What he's saying there is this. Right now, there's going to be junk that happens in your life. And in the midst of that junk, if you will be a person that seeks after the Lord, loves Him, continues to walk according to the ways that He has called you, that God will continually mold you, mend it in, move it together, make it work. Um, almost like um, somebody quilting or, or, or doing needlepoint or um, any of them. My, my grandmother, before she got rheumatoid arthritis, she used to do needlepoint. And she would do those things that I don't even know what they're called. Um, and it may not even be needlepoint, but y'all just forgive me if it's not. It's the circle things and, the, you know, the, the claw things out, and you make the design on top. And I would look at it from behind, and it looked terrible. 
Couldn't even tell what it was. But when you turned it over, it was a picture. And it's kind of like that with our lives sometimes. All this junk is happening. God's mending and moving and weaving and sewing and all of that. And from our end, it looks like a bunch of junk. But God is moving together this beautiful artwork. Scripture says that you are God's masterpiece. And God is working all of that together. And that eventually, one day, there will be no more of it. Here's what a, one writer said in a famous novel called The Brothers Karamazov. This is an atheist character saying this. He basically says that I have to believe this is true, even in his atheism. I believe that suffering will be healed and made up for, that in the world's finality, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, of all the blood that's been shed, that it will make it not just possible to forgive, but to justify all that's happened. And here's what God's promise is. It's not that everything happens for a reason. His promise is this, that no matter how terrible your life or this world gets, that if you will follow and believe in Him, your circumstances may not change. But you can be confident that he is weaving it together into a masterpiece that he will bring good out of bad, that your bad won't be forgotten, and that one day it will all be gone. That is, in essence, what Romans 8, 28 means. Not everything happens for a reason.